Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, Trinity Mirror settles disputes with 10 phone hacking claimants, but why has it taken so long for them to tackle the problem? And what does it all mean for Piers Morgan? Another week, another internet hoax as threats to post private pics of Emma Watson prove unfounded. So how can journalists get wise faster? Elsewhere in the media, uncharted territory will be explored by Jeremy Paxman on Channel 4, The Sun with online video, and of course, our infamous quiz. This is the Media Podcast, sponsored by Audioboo. Well, our roadshow continues. This week, we're at Something Else's Studios in Hoxton, the epicentre of the hipster world. James Robinson, how have you dressed for the occasion? I've dressed like... um sort of middle-aged man who's just come into some money and sort of rolled around in the aisles of Paul Smith's casual section. That is not a good look, basically. Well, that's hipster in its own way. Yeah. Uh, and Lisa Campbell, you can take off those sunglasses now. We're indoors. I've actually grown a beard, especially for the occasion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should say that James Robinson is the former media editor of The Observer, now a power-scort PR guru. Uh, Lisa Campbell, director, of course, of the Edinburgh International Television Festival. Uh, welcome to you both, more formally. Hope you feel at home here at something else with this uh, slightly ominous cutout of Mr Foxy Bingo hanging over my shoulder. I feel very comfortable. Um, Lisa... Edinburgh TV Festival, I was there for the first time this year. How did it go for you? Because it was your first time in charge. Mm, it was. Well, I survived, just about. It, it was amazing. I mean, intense, uh, exhausting. I had no idea about the scale of the operation, actually, behind the scenes. You know, when you turn up and you think, four chairs on the stage, and, you know, stage looks quite nice, but that's that. But there's huge, you know, armies of people behind the scenes. Mm. and uh, Like everything in television. Yes, exactly. But, uh, you know, all the technicians and people, and our production director was wearing a pedometer and actually walked 20 miles around the conference centre in the first day. And then, of course... Of course, I, I came to realise shortly after recording our episode of the media podcast up there that really it's all about the drinking at the George afterwards. Uh, what was the most exciting piece of gossip that you managed to glean from being there? What happens in Edinburgh stays in Edinburgh, ah, you know, the rules there. She won't be drawn. <laughs> Can't be repeated. OK, let's tackle some of the uh, serious stories of the week and several years after the first phone hacking claims were made, three years since the News of the World printed its last edition, Finally, Trinity Mirror, owner of The People and The Sunday Mirror and The Daily Mirror, of course, has confirmed that it has now paid compensation to 10 people over phone hacking. Uh, those claimants include the ex-England manager Sven Joran Eriksson, actor Christopher Eccleston and the BBC's Alan Yentob, bizarrely. Uh, under its previous chief executive, Sly Bailey, the company had stonewalled requests completely to properly investigate 
phone hacking, Bailey told the Leveson Inquiry, I don't think it's a way to conduct a healthy organisation to go around conducting investigations when there's no evidence that our journalists have been involved in phone hacking. Well, now Roy Greenslade, writing in The Guardian, said this was an extraordinary ostrich-like response to what were some pretty serious allegations. James, why are Trinity Mirror doing this now and not three years ago or even eight years ago? Well, Roy's piece was very good. He made the point also that the stock answer when asked about any of these allegations was all our journalists operate under the PCC code, which obviously doesn't address the question at all. That, that's what they do now, but not necessarily what they did then. And the, and the only reason that Sly Bailey didn't find any evidence of wrongdoing is because she didn't look for any. You know, The reason they're doing it now is because there's civil claims being bought, but not dissimilar from the News International situation. Civil claims have been bought and evidence has been uncovered as part of that process, the legal process. So frankly, they didn't have much choice but to hold their hands up and put some money aside, many millions aside, to settle the cases. Because there, there may be many, 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 many more cases to come. If it's dozens of cases, they'll probably have enough. I think they, four million is what they set aside. If it's, if it's hundreds of cases, as it was or is with News International, you know, I did a back of the envelope sum, and if each of those people got 50 grand, which is admittedly towards the high end of the range, mm. that's 25 million pounds. 25 million pounds is a lot of money to uh, what you could describe as a struggling newspaper business. If they were doing it to get away with it, you could argue in the court of public opinion, at least, if not in the legal courts, they have got away with it. Because I think, you know, as a talking point for ordinary, you know, mm. men and women down at the dog and duck, uh, this feels like last decade's story now, doesn't it, Lisa? I think the readers were, were tiring of this story quite some time. And, the, you know, this has popped up again. I'm not sure how many people will be hugely interested in it. But it's, I think it's, you know, as you say, there's going to be more of it. It's the story that refuses to die as much as the newspaper proprietors would like it to. Mm. And now questions for Piers Morgan as well, because yeah, he wrote in his autobiography, didn't he, that he knew about phone hacking. Then he backtracked and said, oh, no, I didn't. I didn't mean that. Well, he did. In, in his newspaper column, as well as his books, he has talked about the existence of phone hacking or, and indeed his knowledge of phone hacking. In a very jolly way, uh, in, in, in until a, suddenly can, it was a problem. And you can <laughs> laugh it, you know, and, he, and he's, now trying to say, he's now trying to sort of effectively laugh it off. Piers is no longer at the organisation, hasn't been at the organisation for a very long time, so he, it may be that he, uh, I know that there's people would like him to be questioned by the, the cops uh, about what he knew, but I'm, I'm not sure, but just partly because there's, there's no political pressure, there's no, there's no pressure from really from The Guardian and other, and other newspaper titles, there's no ongoing investigation in that sense that is really putting pressure on the cops to, to act in the way they did with News International. And, and it's true that, I mean, really, the, 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 sun, the, the whole phone-hanging story in the public's eye became fairly uninteresting, just, I think, really after Millie Dowler. I think the Millie Dowler story confirmed to the, to the public what they already thought they knew, which is that journalists are a bit dodgy. Mm. And after that, they thought, well, we knew that, just like we knew MPs were dodgy. Um, and then the MPs' expenses, expenses scandal showed that, showed that we were right. Mm. And after that, this is just the long tail, really. But that doesn't mean that, that it won't cost Trinity Mirror potentially a lot of money. And, that, and, and News International can afford to pay out a lot of money, and Trinity Mirror can't. So it, it, it could still be very bad for them, I think. Although I do did note that the... Uh, the share price didn't really hasn't reacted move. yet. Yeah. So that may tell you the city's not too worried about about any of this. Okay, well let's see what happens with that. From suspected phone hackers now to fake phone hackers. Uh, this week you may have read about the underground web community 4chan threatening to post private pictures of the actor Emma Watson 
in retaliation for a speech she gave to the UN about feminism. Uh, the commentariat inevitably went into full gear. Uh, I was reading an article about this only this morning from The Independent. Someone talking about feminism. There were opinion pieces in The Guardian, The Telegraph, The Huffington Post. Uh, and then it was discovered to be a hoax. Uh, There were no pictures of Emma Watson. It was deemed to be a viral marketing campaign by Rantic Marketing, who were lobbying for the closure of 4chan. Uh, News organisations, then feeling very humble indeed, uh, reported the hoax, in fairness to them. Uh, And now they've discovered that the marketing company didn't exist. I hope you're still with me on this. Uh, (laughs) The whole thing was the work of internet pranksters who have worked under the name Social Vivo, or at least that's what Business Insider are believing. I'm not just going to take their word for it anymore. This is a myriad web, isn't it? Lisa, everyone fell for it. Is that understandable? Because actually even people quite deeply ingrained in the internet community aren't able to follow the trail and see exactly who's behind all of this kind of stuff. If someone says they're going to publish a photo, is that a reason enough to publish a story saying they will? It's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think in the the emphasis these days seems to be on speed and the first to publish a story. And the news organisations have fallen into that trap of just reacting and not really checking things out properly. And I think that's where the BBC has been criticised for reacting too slowly in mm. the past. But as you're just getting more and more of this, I think it really emphasises the role of the BBC amidst all this noise and clutter and gossip that someone reliable and trustworthy will check out a story before they actually say, you know, yeah, this is this is happening. So I think it's it really will just outline in the future trusted brands are what it's all going to be about. James, what can journalists do about this, though? Because it's one thing to say, well, you can, you know, check the sources, you know, but it's not like calling the police to find out if someone's been arrested or calling a, a morgue to find out if someone's died. It's not that, is it? This is someone says they're going to publish a photo. Is that a story itself? Well, no. Well, it, it, it is kind of like that because you phone Emma Watson's agent in the, and you ask if there were any such photos in existence and if so, whether she was believed she'd been hacked. Mm. And if they say, no, absolutely not, then you'd start to harbour some serious doubts about the story so that seemed like the, an ob- very obvious thing to do I mean I would say these pranksters seem to have, have got an enormous amount of time on their hands they are an elaborate prank in history um, and always slightly underwhelming ones as well yeah I mean it's, it's sort of if you put that much time and effort into it you yeah. think you, maybe you could think of something as slightly more ha 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 uh, we created a fake promotions company I mean it's not exactly yeah, yeah it's not like it's uh, not the greatest hoax ever made I mean you could you know, pretend you know maybe you could, it just doesn't seem a very ambitious hoax does it but um at least it makes a very good point i mean it is traditional news organizations do place a premium on speed increasingly it's up to the editors really to rather than the journalists in some senses to to actually make sure the checks are being carried out and basic questions are being asked because it, there seems to be safety in numbers once five people mm-hmm. have written about it it's like Definitely. no one really occurs I mean, then there'll be a columnist r- r- you know writes a story based on the news story which didn't check the original source and it just spreads like wildfire, so yeah. I think basic journalistic checks. I wonder yeah. how much coverage there was on this and the naked pictures as opposed to her actual UN speech. And um, I suspect, mm. unfortunately, there's going to be a lot more frenzy around her naked body than there is about yeah. very important and really great speech that she made. Yeah, well, a very good point. I mean, whatever the intentions of the pranksters, whether they were either trying to say we've got pictures of Emma Watson and that's in retaliation for a speech on feminism or whether they were trying to make a more complicated point about that's the kind of thing 4chan would do ha 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 but mm. we're not going to do that because they're losers and they're misogynists which is a rather complicated <laughs> point to make in the in the form of a prank whatever they were trying to do it's drawn all the focus away exactly mm. from what she actually yeah. said and it's hard to know what their motivation is because I don't know who they are and they haven't explained where they were coming from so it's all rather all rather confusing. Okay, well, producer Matt assures me we'll have some more stories after this, but I am going to go away and double-check my sources. 
This episode of the Media Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio and online store. Plus, Media Podcast listeners can get a free trial and 10% off by entering the code MEDIAPOD at the checkout. And as you know, Squarespace is simple to use. Just drag and drop media into the browser window, choose a template that suits your project, and that's it. You're ready to launch in minutes. And that is exactly what we did with our website for Kickstarter pledges. It's a template featuring full screen images and hours of insightful audio from sessions at the recent Edinburgh TV Festival and Next Radio Conference. Start a trial with no credit card required and begin building your own website with Squarespace today. And get 10% off when you use the offer code MEDIAPOD. Okay, time for some news in brief now. And it's been announced that Paxo is going to anchor Channel 4's coverage of the 2015 general election. And the last time round, Channel 4 took an irreverent take on the polls. They had that thing with Charlie Brooker and Lauren Laverne and and David Mitchell, uh, which was the forerunner to the live satire show 10 O'Clock Live. Uh, But this time, Jeremy Paxman... That is a big change, isn't it, James? And, And Jeremy Paxman had been hinting he wanted to dip his toe into the water at Channel 4, but... Live, long-form coverage of the general election. That's quite a dip, isn't it? That's a whole leg in the water. It is, but that's something I think he always wanted to do, wasn't it? I, th- I think I'm right in saying he didn't get... I don't want to get this wrong. He either, he either he never did a general election campaign uh, on the night, or rarely did, because it was Dimbledore that always did it. I, th- I think that's right. And so he would, and he'll be doing it a very different way. I'm well, not he was sure. never the sole anchor, was he? He used to yeah, pop I, I up and do little interviews. Yes, yeah, so, yes, that, that, might be true, that might be right. So he's now getting his chance... If he's going to do an irreverent take on it, I mean, it's, it's going to be quite difficult because he is, he's, he's not really a, stating the obvious, a comedian. I mean, yeah. he, is, he is a straight <laughs> journalist who right, asks difficult questions. And I'm not sure he was, you know, his Edinburgh show that he did sort of received mixed reviews. But, um, I mean, on one level, it's, it's quite exciting because Paxman is, is box office. On another level, I just felt it, it was a bit disappointing, really, because, you know, it's going to be another, you know, sort of white middle-aged man commentating on three white middle-aged men in politics and you feel like I'm not sure how mm. brave a step it is but I mean very few people will be sad that Joan Pax is back on telly that's mm. for sure yeah I think it does give us a real choice doesn't it because really you know everyone competes in this arena but really people turn to the BBC as we were saying mm. earlier for a sort of authoritative voice and they do get all the guests on election night don't they I mean Lisa yeah. do you think this is a good poach by Jay Hunt I've sort of with James, I think, yes, it's box office and of course you're going to tune in and you're going to see what it's like. But I'm, I do feel slightly disappointed that Channel 4 should be really surprising us and should mm. be just unearthing some great new diverse talent. I mean, you know, when is the last time we've had a sort of Sasha Baron Cohen that, you know, Channel 4 launched all those great names on the 11 o'clock show? And it would just be brilliant if they'd found mm. this great bright spark that you think is just going to identify with a younger audience and that, you know, that they've grown and... Mm. They're working on that. (laughs) Maybe they've got a few announcements to come. Well, I have to say, if the Scottish independence referendum coverage is anything to go by this kind of thing does need a bit of a shot in the arm doesn't it I did you what were you watching uh, yeah. the BBC oh yeah oh yeah. it was boring it, it wasn't was, it there was just it was nothing to report Lord. was there for, for hours and hours and I thought um Jeremy Vine's imp graphic you know took over the sort of um Peter Snow role on BBC two I think uh it was slightly bizarre they had at one point a, a 
3D sort of rendition of um, it's not, I was going to say it's Polaris but it isn't Polaris I always, I'm stuck in the 1960s and 1970s <laughs> of our nuclear deterrent you know, going yes. through the Scottish seas and it, I was just Trident all, yes. Trident that's yeah. it it did look yeah, a bit no, like the day to day that's what I'm trying to say yeah. basically yeah. Yeah. a it, giant three story yeah. graphic projected yeah. onto uh, yeah. Pacific Key and, and it was and it was also Jeremy Vine's sort of uh, he was sort of crouching and, and jumping and pointing and you know in theory Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Using and gesticulating and it was, it was just, it just I think what had happened, odd. I think he'd realised that Hugh Edwards was so boring that he had to put in five times as much energy to try and recover the coverage. <laughs> and I think, you know, Hugh, and by the way, I'm a, I'm a partisan fan of Hugh Edwards as a news mm. anchor. I think he's great at soberly mm. delivering headlines. But as a live presenter of a news show, I found the whole thing so weird. They had Andrew Neil after who is a Scot in Westminster mm. and then they had Hugh Edwards who's a Welshman sitting up in Scotland yeah. who's not used to interviewing politicians I mean and we're going to get Hugh Edwards aren't we Lisa after David Dimbleby's next election coverage that's who we'll have for the next 40 years I know I, I agree <laughs> he was really dull and, and at the point at which you know we'd got the result in and I know it's the BBC and you can't go yes see us, or no you know, but whatever but it was so flat I mean yeah. yeah I accept it was difficult to deliver that how do you do that moment but my god it was like a balloon deflating massively wasn't it yeah and to be honest the, the sky news was struggling as well because it's just that it's the obvious point there's a lack of news you can't report anything until after the polls close and then you, you they didn't do an exit poll if they, either of them had done an exit poll that would have given them something else to talk about so i felt quite sorry for them actually because yeah. they really did have to talk about not very much for two and a half I hours news night was it was good mm. kirsty walk she had a discussion they were in scotland at least and yeah. they uh, you know and they, there was historians putting real context and there was a really really interesting debate with very opposing views um you know the stuff was going on in glasgow at, at the time you know what were they rioting what was really going on mm. i think that was that that was the best coverage i saw in terms of that sort of follow-up analysis stuff the best i saw actually was cnn 
just because uh, they had to explain everything yeah. to people like they knew nothing at all about Britain and they really made it very exciting. What is Prime Minister Cameron yeah, going to do? Yeah, that was fine. actually much more fun to work. There was an American poll as well, which I saw being tweeted a lot on the night, which said, um, I don't think it was CNN, one of, it might have been Fox or another uh, US channel, which said uh, the, the vote was on exit poll was 58% yes and, yeah. and 55% no or something which added up to obviously more than 100% which so was quite that's what we want for the next election coverage yeah. BBC a fake poll to get everyone excited on Twitter <laughs> yeah, indeed <laughs> okay so from one surprise Jeremy Paxman on Channel 4 to another The Sun is commissioning video series now they've commissioned an online video series from the makers of ITV2's release The Hounds uh, the show called Man vs. Fly will show minor celebrities attempting to swat flies um, <laughs> this is monkey tennis actually happening it is. well I, I thought this was another hoax story or, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. or, or produce some Matt seeing if I was on my toes and <laughs> throwing in a fake TV format yeah. it's all on brand for the sun though isn't it James it's fun it's short form mercifully they're only three <laughs> minutes long these episodes of a celebrity swatting a fly it kind of fits their brand. Yeah, it's irreverent. That's yes. the word everyone uses about describe the sun, isn't it? And um, it's also slightly one-sided competition, isn't it? Yeah, man versus fly. <laughs> and, uh, is, are we expecting? Are we putting? We're we going to put money on which who wins these competitions? Because I think you get quite good odds on the fly, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it sounds absolutely brilliant. I think it's quite inspired. And Lisa, the sun is building on its football rights here, isn't it? It's actually got an audience of over a hundred thousand paying subscribers first football now entertainment I mean actually is there a serious threat here yeah not to ITV and the BBC but to people like <laughs> like I don't know you know some of the Sky channels in terms of you know building that sort of football yeah. beery kind of here's a bit of a laugh audience yeah well I don't think Tony Hall's having any sleepless nights right now is he but the football rights totally make sense to me you know that that's a kind of sound business decision this just seems like they're just having a bit of a laugh but I, I, I know what you mean it's it's the sort of viral stuff that you can imagine sharing sort of in the office and, and having a laugh yeah. and then it's over. But it doesn't seem to be any more than that. But the way, you know, the way it's described, you know, they've got a, you know, Sony Pictures Television is, is behind this. It's, you know, it's got some weight behind it. And it's a real competition, about, isn't it? Man yeah. vs. Fly is a real thing that people actually do in the sporting world, believe it or not. And they're talking about, you know, this being a potential global format. and they're going to Olympic sport. The world. I mean, it's it's going to be an Olympic <laughs> sport for, for within 10 years. I don't uh, know. If, uh, if well, they turn around and said it's a hoax, I would, I would believe. Yeah. I mean, the football thing's interesting because they, you know, they've managed to. You know, they had big problems with Vine and Vimeo and however you pronounce it, with uh, fans just taking pictures of the goals and and uh, putting them on social media, didn't they? So, and but they managed to monetized it, obviously, because it's a subscription. But I mean, I, I don't know if it's as easy with something like this, a short format, whether you know. Surely it will just be shared. I just don't see how it can be as monetized as easily. I suppose it's branded, though, isn't it? It's an advert mm, for the sun. An advert for the sun, yeah. It's sort of like from the days of Kelvin McKenzie, this, isn't it? I mean, yeah, if, if I had ever worked at live oh, yeah. TV, exactly. Yeah, you know, TV. I think, why did we do that as a TV channel? We should have made an independent production company and sold it to Sony. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you just don't want Barack Obama on the, as the first celebrity guest, don't you? <laughs> they'll, they'll be a very short, a whole, short contest. They'll probably do a whole load of spin-offs, won't they? You know, topless fly swatting. <laughs> that, this could be a home for page three. Yes. yes. Uh, right, on to radio now. And just a couple of weeks before the 2014 Radio Festival, the BBC says it is on course to hit its target of 50% of local radio breakfast shows hosted or co-hosted by women by 2015. Uh, speaking to the Radio Times, the BBC controller of English regions, David Holdsworth, revealed that the number of female presenters has increased from eight in August 2013. A genuinely outrageous number. Uh, to the current roster of 17, uh, with an 18th about to start. So that puts the total at 44% now. At uh, least that is progress, isn't it? But we're talking about co-hosted shows here, mostly co-hosted with men. 
Exactly. Um, yes, it's progress, but long way to go. I mean, it took ages to get a female voice on the Today programme on Radio 4. You know, the, the programme that sets the news agenda for the nation you know, didn't have a female voice at one point you could listen for an hour and a half and they're, they're, you wouldn't hear a female voice, either a contributor or a presenter. And, you know, really, I, I was involved in the expert women campaign when, when I was at broadcast and that's, that's what really sparked that. It was just this real frustration from listening to a very important radio show and, and just not hearing a female voice. And, and I think local radio is so important for, for growing new talent particularly and that's where, you know, you hopefully get voices of the future for, for national radio as well um so it's good progress it, it's not enough clearly yeah i mean good for them for you know for having the target and going some way to meeting it already i mean i think five out of 18 are hosting which is does seem like a shockingly low number and you know it's 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 it's, it's even worse in the in the public sector isn't it? it it feels more unfair when we're all funding the bbc and you're all paying the license fee to not have shows that are presented by the, the people you know that doesn't reflect the, the population and demographics of the country and that leads us on to an area which we talk about a lot on this show so we'll try and keep it brief but i think it's relevant here uh, director general tony hall resisting quotas on black and asian presenters mm. but this is proof that one of the bbc quotas is actually working so do you think he can continue to resist it well, not if, I mean, if it's a, if he's contradicted himself by by backing quotas on women, it seems bizarre. I mean, I know that. I mean, I I personally think that we, they should be monitoring social background. I mean, I think class is a as much bigger issue or as big an issue as race or gender. Because mm-hmm. again, you know, we know that especially BBC News, we only know anecdotally because the BBC don't keep records, but it's very fairly elitist and fairly male privately educated a lot of privately educated uh, men basically yeah. running BBC News and and across the industry as it is and, and across the country I mean mm. it's not just, just but the BBC is a publicly funded um, organization and they they should reflect the, the makeup of, of this country and I think I think they should, if they don't monitor it I don't know if you have quote having quotas of working class people might be slightly ridiculous and potentially insulting but you need to know who's working in your organization if you want to change anything you need to measure you know it makes you focus when you measure these things mm. and I think when there's such an imbalance as there was here you know with the, with the eight uh, in, in all those 41 stations then you know you do need to have targets you know at least targets yeah. even if you know quota might be just too much and, and some women don't like that you know yeah. the idea that well you're there just because of a quota yeah, exactly. um but you know i think i think the the diversity issue and i think that enc- encompasses everything and mm. it, does, it is social background as well um, i do think as well you need to think about the listeners too i mean with local radio you've got a very old demographic compared to almost every other radio station and mm. they like what they know I mean, if they've been listening to the mm. same male host for 10 years it seems odd to change that show just because of an incentive no no, no they've got to do it tough it's just tough yeah. It's tough on the no, audience. It doesn't matter if they like the, the presenter as it is. Why should no, the old dinosaurs no. just dictate? You know, I mean, there's. I don't know. I mean, no, I, the I don't agree. Dinosaurs dictating there. If you ask the listeners, you say, "I like this guy." Nothing will ever change. Nothing would ever change on that basis. We'd still be listening to David Lee Travis on Radio One. That's a bad example. <laughs> well, it's um, a very good but, um, example because I can't argue back at you in this particular uh, week. But I mean, it's. Uh, it's you know, it, it. And there's always howls of pro- or often howls of protest when things get changed, and um, and and you know, you can do some of it by. Where people do leave, people do retire. People, you know, it doesn't always have to be a night of the long knives and men being, you know, wheeled out of the local BBC station. So, and and you know, and people don't like change, but then you know they mm. they get used to it. And it was the same with you know people. Supposedly, the audience didn't like older women on screen, and then you know that's that's been proved wrong. Once mm. they do have, you know, there's there's so much more, especially drama roles now. Um, and you know, Anne Reid is a, a classic example. You know, it's 
you can't let the audience sort of dictate these things all the time. And finally, whilst we're talking about radio, uh, we found out who's going to deliver the John Peel lecture at this year's radio festival. It's Iggy Pop. Uh, James, <laughs> is this an inspired choice? Does this show a lust for life on behalf of the radio festival commissioners? Oh, yeah, huh? well, he's just a passenger, isn't he? <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's great. I mean, I'd, I'd read a bit about what Iggy Pop is going to talk about. Obviously, music. I'm not surprised, but it's the idea of the commercialisation of music, and he's going to. It sounds very, it sounds fascinating here as someone who's sort of of the '60s, but still identified with the punk scene, and you know, worked with David Bowie, worked with all the greats. I mean, I, I'd love Marky e. Smith to do it, but that. But um, I think he'd only do it if he was sort of drinking a whiskey out of a blue plastic bag. Um, but no, no, it'd be great. I've, I'm looking forward to hearing Iggy, Iggy Pop. And Lisa, having done the TV festival, I imagine there's a similar pressure to get a few kind of big tentpole names that you know are going to carry news stories, really, about the festival. Iggy Pop will do that for the radio festival. Mm. So from yeah. that point of view, good booking? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's an inspired booking. And I think having someone who's, you know, what's great about him is he's unpredictable. Mm. You, and that's why you turn up. You have no idea, really, how, how far he'll go. Or, you know, he doesn't care. He'll say exactly yeah. what, what he likes. Um, you know, in the same way, Grayson Perry did the did the wreath lecture, you know, which was yeah. brilliant. And yeah. I just think having those real sort of creative mavericks in, in their field doing this is, is a brilliant idea. OK, best news of all now. It is time for the media quiz. Oh, yes, that's right. Uh, this week we've called it Three Failed Wishes uh, because we never like to have the same format uh, in consecutive weeks. Earlier today, I travelled to the bottom of a wishing well and I stole the wishes of three people connected to the media. I'll read out who they are and you have to tell me what they wished for. Now, this is very serious because obviously failed wishes but also a cream egg at stake here. OK, here we go. Question number one London Live and independent owner Evgeny Lebedev what was his failed wish uh, less local content correct he wanted London Live to have less local programming in prime time guess what Ofcom thought we're not going to grant that wish no not no. surprising yet. yeah you can't really blame let's, them can you and no, you can't really blame him for asking for it well, either no I mean it's, it's doing really badly yeah um, and you have to feel very sorry for them and uh, but it's just cheating, isn't it? You know, get the yeah. license and then say, yeah, you know what, we're not going to be, we're not going to do London stuff anymore. That's no, uh, it's, it's, uh, he's, he's having a laugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Failed wish number two: the Conservative ministers that I met down there in the wishing well that were from the Treasury and the DCMS. What was their failed wish? Oh, privatising Channel Four. Very good. Yes. This is one point each now. Indeed, yes. They wanted to privatise Channel 4, according to The Telegraph. Uh, but the Lib Dems in the coalition government, thankfully, vetoed their wish. And, uh, right, third question, tie break. This is it. Keshet Broadcasting. They were down there in the wishing well. What was their failed wish? That Rising Star would broadcast on ITV. Yes. <laughs> now, this genuinely was a surprising story, although, again, I can't blame ITV for doing this. ITV have cancelled Rising Star before it's even been on. Mm. Lisa, was this just a case of the Emperor's New Clothes in the first place, do you think? Yeah, slightly. I think, uh, you know, there's there's been a big sort of rush on Is- Israeli formats. It was, you know, Israel is the new... UK. Yes. <laughs> Certainly <laughs> Hollywood for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's a complicated format, and when you look at the US version and, the you know, the, the viewers get a bit of a say and the judges do and it's kind of you know what's going on and and the wall thing isn't any even invisible and the judges can see i mean it's it's a bit of a mess honestly but mm. i mean we had a, a session at edinburgh called um 
Sizzles that sold the show. So I went to that these, session. Yeah, and I saw the tape that you sold tape. Rising Star, and I was watching it, thinking, "Well, I wouldn't have bought that." Oh, really? But uh, everyone in the room obviously disagreed with me, yeah. and they thought, "Oh, this is a brilliant show." I was just watching, thinking, "God, another talent show." And you yeah. were right. Well, that's what the audience are thinking, isn't it? Yeah. Obviously, commissioners just get well, blinded by the fact they can well, get Well, I, I just thought, you know, I saw Fincham's quote saying, "You know, we've got to take risks, and sometimes they don't pay off." And I thought, you know, oh, good on you. Then I thought, well, hang on, is this a risk? It's a talent show where you can't see, or maybe you can see some of the time, the competitors, whereas the last talent show that was on TV was one where, you know, you're you're in the judges were in a chair with their backs to the competitors. Doesn't sound like a, a huge risk to me. No. Um, well, it's just basically the X Factor meets hole in the wall, wasn't it? Really, I mean, it's not really yeah, doing yeah. anything new. Really, I think it's in some ways it's good news for for British producers because I think there's been a sort of you know it's it's international and it's aired elsewhere and therefore it has to be good and we'll buy it. And I think you know the UK is in demand all around the world. So you know look a bit closer to home for your mm. ideas. And I think maybe they will now. There you are. Good news for British producers that ITV wasted millions of pounds developing an Israeli format. You heard it here first. Uh, that is it for today, but it does mean, Lisa, you are the winner of the cream egg. Congratulations. We'll be back in two weeks. And don't forget, you can get the podcast as soon as it's ready by subscribing via our website, themediapodcast.com. This week's episode is dedicated sincerely to Mo McRoberts, a blue-haired, frequent-travelling, high-functioning workaholic employed to think big thoughts for BBC Archive Development. Thank you, Mo. Uh, And to music TV impresario Simon Sadler. Thanks very much both. I've been Ollie Mann. The producer is Matt Hill. Until next time, bye-bye. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.